Good morning, everybody. Welcome to fall. Doesn't it feel like we kind of hit fall? And as I was lovingly taunted this morning that uh, welcome to an era where Ohio State is somehow number one in the country. If you need, if you need evidence that we still need the kingdom of God to come, I'm going to tell you, I think I can point your finger somewhere. <laughs> we're, we're still there. We're not done. It, yesterday did not go as well as, as I had hoped for my bulldogs, but, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see where we can go. Um, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you this morning. Um, I, we're actually kicking off a, a new series, and this is one that I've been looking forward to um, actually for a long time. Um, we're calling it Loving Like Jesus. We've got all, all kinds of things going on this morning. Um, this is actually going to take us through the end of this year. And that's kind of a big deal because if, if you know me, you, there's probably two things. You know, Josh loves his Georgia Bulldogs. Um, and Advent really means the world to me. Not just Christmas, but Advent. And uh, this series is actually going to walk us through not just the season going up to Thanksgiving, but, but through Advent and expressing it. Adam actually messaged me, uh, I forget how long ago, maybe six months, with just little quips from some books that he was reading. And it kind of inspired this whole thing that, that, that we're diving into here, because the way that our Lord loves, the way that we're called to follow after him in terms of forgiveness and hoping and peace and longing and loving, it's so dramatically different than what the world offers us. And I don't think that we really appreciate that. Um, I think that there's a whole lot to, to dig into here to, to see this. In some ways, I, I've got this like a, a spot the difference game. I, I pulled this up if you haven't seen this. Um, you don't actually have to play and participate. But there are seven differences there. We won't keep it to 37 seconds. But you know these things that we did as a kid, right? You want to find... I've, I've lost you all, I can tell already. <laughs> That's fine. Enjoy it. Um, right? But, but we, we have these things that we do where we're aware that, that, that we have two things that are so similar. They're so close. And we're, we're trying to discern and we're trying to recognize the difference of these things. So what this series is trying to help us do... You come Come back focus on me. <laughs> we want to navigate the nuance. Did, did, all right, I'll ask. Did anybody get all seven? Did anybody get all seven? Anybody get six? Got two? Three? Anybody got three? Anybody got four? <laughs> so the patterns of man, maybe that's the one on the left, <laughs> and the patterns of God, right? That we realize that there's two things that, that are, are coming so close to each other, but there's important differences there. Those of us who live a little bit more with maybe one foot on the internet, we're familiar with the, uh, the meme from the office, right? And so we've got this photo here where corporate needs you to find the differences between this picture and this picture. And, and Pam says that they're the same picture. And she was just trying to keep them occupied. It, it wasn't a thing like you can't find those differences because I just want to keep you busy. That's the whole thing. Um, but the reality is, church, that, that so much of what we're going through, we, we suffer from a lack of perspective. We don't realize what we're looking at. We don't realize what we're seeing. We don't see it in the context or the fullness from what we're actually looking for. We spend so much time looking at things on this level that we forget that there's a more perfect way. And what we've done is we've taken this idea of love and we've made it something so human and so common that we've confused ourselves about what these words even mean. 
And so when we talk about love and, and we're throwing these things around, we don't understand that there's so much more to be delved into. There's such a depth to be appreciated when we look at this. And I've, I've got another one to distract you guys. I thought there might be more kids and this would be, you know, friendly. But the, the nine dot puzzle, do you guys know this one? The, the, the question here is, how can you connect all nine of these dots with the fewest lines possible? Now you're starting to remember this one, right? And how do you do this? I actually have a, the picture on the next one. You're surprised at this because you have to draw outside of that box. You see those nine dots and you automatically put it in this grid. You put it in this box and you think to connect those things, like I've, I've got to try to stay in, in these, these confines. But as soon as you realize that the world is bigger than these nine dots, the puzzle becomes clear. There's actually another solution. I didn't put this up here. But if you actually draw this around the entire world, <laughs> you could have a single line that just changes just a little bit as it arcs through there and uses the bottom and top of the dots. And I found that I thought that that was just a little silly. So I didn't even put that up here. Um, but if our only example for love is our friends and our family, our marriages, our friendships, and God help us, Oprah, we are missing out on the depths of what love is actually meant to be. Um, we're in for trouble. We have to get outside of our boxes. I, I shared this before, and, and it understandably made a lot of people nervous, but, but you know, this is a phrase that's kicked around the world so much that, that you know, love is love. And if you are at all in a studier of other languages, not to mention just ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek, you realize that, that that's actually a nonsense statement. The way that I love my wife is so different than the way I love my kids. And that's good. And that nuance should be understood and celebrated. We have, we've condensed this stuff down into a way that we've lost clarity on what we're trying to talk about because it's lacking that nuance. And I think that what we do is we end up with this confusing swirl of language where everything either gets sexualized or romanticized, and we don't understand what it actually means to love in these other ways. And then you hear your pastor talk about agape, and you're thinking, oh, well, everything sh then should be agape. And we think that that's like the rubber stamp of approval for everything. And we lose ourselves to the notion of what we're actually talking about in all of this. Do you know that there are 170,000 ways to order a Starbucks drink? 170,000 ways you can order a Starbucks drink. All the ways that we try to assemble our world, all the ways that we try to, to put order into our life, get these little details right to just like play to, to what things that I want. And it, it feels a little bit, do you know the, the, the classic monkeys and, and keyboard problem, the, the, the infinite monkeys on infinite keyboards? This is the geek that I am, all right? So the, the mathematical theorem goes that if you have an infinite number of monkeys banging away on an infinite number of keyboards, eventually they're going to produce the complete works of William Shakespeare. Do you know that? So th this is the puzzle they have. Um, I, on the next slide, you can actually see these are monkeys that they literally put to the task <laughs> to see what will a monkey produce if you let him pound away on a keyboard for as long as he wants. And you know what the answer is? Almost nothing ever. <laughs> and, and, and that's really true. They, they, they pooped on the keyboards. They, they peed on, on the keyboards. They, they banged a rock against them and broke a lot of the keyboards. And then one monkey found 
the letter S. <laughs> and actually on the next slide, you can see they actually published this as a book. It says, Notes Towards the Complete Works of Shakespeare. It's got the names of the monkeys there. It was Elmo, Gum, Heather, Holly, Mistletoe, and Rowan. Those were the names of the monkeys that they had pounding on these keyboards. And you can see there, he, he had a, a few extra characters, and then he found the letter S. <laughs> and that was the winner. So this was a, a legitimate experiment they did. And the conclusion was, and it's actually, this is what I really truly want you to hear. The conclusion is monkeys are not a theoretical construct. I think you know that, right? But when you had this idea of a, of a monkey being like this infinite number generator, it, it's one thing. But the reality is it's a created being in a created world that has a very different personality than, than just a random number generator. The way that we love, the way that we engage, we're not trying to combine our hearts, our emotions, our minds, our histories in any of these 170,000 different ways to try to produce this idea of love that makes my heart feel a certain way. Given all the time from the creation of all things till today, mankind cannot assemble the way to find God's love. We needed Jesus to come down and show us. There was no way with all the infinite permutations of our hearts, of our intent, of our love, of our best well-being, of our best understanding, we put those things together all the ways we possibly can, and we are far short of the love that Jesus has for everyone in this room. A theoretical monkey is not the same thing as a real one. You can write that in your notes. Given all the people on earth, I don't think we would ever happen to learn to love like Jesus when left to our own devices, because we don't need to love like Romeo and Juliet. We don't need to, to learn to love like Ross and Rachel, or I don't know who it might be for you, because we keep looking to ourselves. We keep looking to each other. We keep looking to our past, and we're not lifting, looking up to see that there's a more perfect way. Because it's not just friendship, it's not just sacrifice, it's not just kindness. There is an empowered nature behind God's love, which sets it wholly apart from anything of this world. But once you've experienced it, you're drawn to it, and you can actually do more than participate. You can actually give it. You can actually be a partaker in this. You can actually be a replicator of this love that no human could actually come up with on our own. Has anybody here ever tempered chocolate? I did for the first time. And, uh, and it's, it's wild. Tempered chocolate, like if you, if you realize, like you melt chocolate, if you've ever struggled with this, you melt chocolate and, and it just never like becomes hard again. That's because you didn't temper it. I learned about this. What you have to do is you have to heat it up, then you cool it down quickly to a certain thing. And what it does is actually causes the crystals to form in a certain way that the, the crystals kind of learn how to line themselves up. And so they can become good and crisp and hard. So you get that good like snap of a candy bar. That's, that's a good tempered chocolate thing. That's not important. What is important is this. When you have tempered chocolate, you can add untempered chocolate to it. And you know what happens? It's contagious. It becomes tempered. You pour in more and more melted chocolate and it becomes tempered. When Jesus came to this world, he lined us up in a certain way. We could crystallize around his expression of love for us. 
We understood that there's a more perfect way. We understood that he has love. We understood that he has life. We understand that, that he can appoint us to a certain orientation where everything is working the way it should be. And when we call other people to us, guess what? It's contagious. We begin loving like Jesus. We've become participants in this grand story that he started for us. And it's contagious in this wonderful way that shapes and changes the world. It's a, a bit weak to uh, define things by what they're not in an argumentative sense. But pastorally, I think it's very helpful because what we have to do is we have to understand all these wrong notions that we bring to the table. Right? Whenever I say love is not this, well, tell me what love is. That's a great argument. But we have to first understand we're not talking about certain things because we have these false notions. We, we hold to these ideas, and until we can call them out, I, th I think it's a struggle. We have to say no to things so we can say yes to something else. I'm going to start off with one that, that might surprise you. Loving like Jesus is not supernatural, and that depends on how you define supernatural, or else we couldn't do it ourselves. But the thing is, we are born into this world in such a way to experience the love of Jesus. We were made for this. We were created to be loved by our creator. So if the, the heavens and earth had to split, if there had to be a, a booming voice from the sky, if there had to be rainbows that, that, that sparkle across the horizon for God to say, I know you and I love you, that makes no sense with the God who created us to be in relationship with him. You were made for this kind of love. It fits who we are. It's not one out of a million as if it were a cheat code or like you were tuning a radio. It's not additive, meaning after you get the rest of this stuff, then we're going to add on some extra love and you'll, you'll start to see how that is. It's not something that we wait to feel as if it were an emotional response. It is rooted in obedience. This is how it is the summary of the law and the prophets. Jesus gave us that as a little throwaway piece of wisdom, like all of the law and prophets are summed up in this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Wait a minute, wait a minute, let's dig into that. <laughs> There's more that you're saying with this. How, how is don't plant my, my fields the same way two seasons? How is that love? What are we talking about here? We'll get into that in the coming weeks. <laughs> Loving like Jesus doesn't mean that I don't love like a father or a brother or a son or a husband. It's not a replacement love. And I think we struggle to hold things at the same time. We think I have to be less of myself and more like Jesus. And we, th we think that if I'm, I'm going to be the super Christian, then everything I do is going to be agape, 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 agape with all the people. And then that can actually be so damaging to our kids who need their earthly father. It can be hurtful to a wife who the erotic love is actually a good thing, a godly given thing. The idea of a, a friend who needs that stogie, the, the idea of a brother who needs the phileia, the idea that this love is for more, way more than what we understand this. We are made for so much in this life. So what is this? To love like Jesus, we turn the other cheek. We walk another mile. We love our neighbor as we love ourselves. It's sacrificial for God so loved the world. It's seeking. It's leaving the 99 for the one. It's realized because it's not empty promises or potential. It's articulated and not assumed. It's defining. It's the loudest thing in the room. It's empowered, which is different than it being realized. It's extravagant and lavish. 
It encapsulates forgiveness and hope and kindness and joy, rejoicing in somebody else, peace, well-being, and that's how it's going to take us through Advent. So that's kind of a roadmap for where we're going with all this stuff. Um, my daughter, Karis, challenged me to try to preach a series on love and not use 1 Corinthians 13. Um, I think we're going to get there, legitimately. Well, I mentioned it. I did mention it, but I didn't, I didn't go there. Um, but I can't get away from 1 John 4. 1 John 4 is... I, it, it's perhaps the, the most beautiful love passage, really, but, but maybe I'm biased because I spent a lot of time in it this week. Um, I'm going to read this to you, that the, the whole thing, we, we, we had some practice, we did this with Colossians, so you're kind of used to these larger chunks of scripture, but I want you to hear this um, as a letter, as somebody's writing this to you, encouraging you for certain things. And so, this, this is what, uh, what 1 John 4 says, and by the way, every time that it says friends, the word is actually those covered by agape. Every time love is used, it is agape. So this kind of fits with what we were talking about earlier. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Again, remember, spot the differences, the spirits of the world and the spirits of God. How do we discern and recognize the difference between these two things? He's about to tell us. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. And again, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. 
For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So this passage might start from a place you don't expect, discernment. Most of us do not associate love and discernment as like a knee-jerk reaction. If I'm trying to recognize between two things, love doesn't seem to be like the logical follow. I, that, that's like a process of the mind. Like if I'm discerning something, I want to spot the differences. I want to analyze them. I want to try to put them into two columns and put the pros and the cons. And, and here's the thing, I can knock that one off the list. And I, I draw these lines. For the, that's how we practice discernment when we're doing it from a worldly point of view. The, the frustrating thing to me about this passage is how incredibly consuming of like bad theology it is. If you acknowledge that Jesus is the son, you're good. <laughs> like, wow, that is a broad brush to call people into the family of God. That is a broad assumption of saying, if you can testify that Jesus is the son of God, come on in. Let's experience what this means to love. I, I think we devalue discernment as a spiritual gift, and we elevate it as a thoughtful person. We elevate it as a thing that we do with our own minds. But the thing is, we recognize God in his loving. We try to recognize him by so many ways, but, but what this is telling us is we can recognize God in his loving. We think of this as an intellectual exercise, then an expression of the whole soul. All that you are, discerning all that God is. That deep calls unto deep. This idea that, that I was made for more than this life, and I look and I can see Jesus, and I see what, what happened, and I say, yes, that's my Lord. I was made for this story. I received life and life to the full because of what happened on the cross. And discernment points us towards something unexpected. Not the affection that you feel for him, not this thing that, that we do in response to that, not, not then worship, not, not this idea of then adore him or then be grateful, at least, or at least have thanksgiving for it. But this discernment says, this is love. Not what you can do with your mouth, not what you can do with your two hands, not what you do in a community of people together, not building the biggest building, not, not declaring this as loudly as you possibly can, but this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's from him. We're still just playing with, with twigs. We're, we're, we're still trying to, to stack up a, a, a tower of blocks and, and acting like it's a big building. When God has shown us a more perfect way. All those permutations of Starbucks drinks and we still don't have something that really refreshes our soul. All these ways that we can assemble things in this world, all the ways that we try to combine human relationships, only to find that it's not the source of life that I ever thought it would be. But when we've tasted and seen that he is good, our souls are on fire with an understanding that I was made for that. That's the love I've always craved. That's the love that, that will shape this world. This is the love that, that brings forgiveness and hope and kindness that rights wrongs, that doesn't blink and ignores them, but actually corrects things, that calls us back to the path where we can see and know our God and participate fully in the restoration of all things. We can try as we like every permutation of words and actions and we still miss what love is because it's not about trying at all. 
Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite books of the Bible, where he says, I tried it all. It's a chasing after the wind. I tried it all and everything was meaningless. I tried money. I, I tried relationships. I, I tried these marriages. I, I, I tried wisdom. I, I tried everything. And all I could find at the end of it is it's about the kingdom of God. All the things of this world, they, they, they couldn't satisfy that part of my soul that my soul was crying out the whole time that it needed. I tried connecting those nine dots as best as I could. I ordered every drink at Starbucks to realize I don't like coffee. <laughs> Monkeys are not random number generators. <laughs> if you don't realize that was the point of all those silly things in the beginning, math can't define a monkey. Math might be solid, but creation doesn't play by these theoretical rules. It's a real place with a real God, with a real heart, with real love. It's not, a, it's not some simulation. It, it's not some, some intellectual exercise. It's an engagement with what it really means to be human because to really be human is being built in the image of God, to be made in the image of our Savior, to be a co-inheritor, a co-laborer with all of the promises, with all the blessings, with all the hopes. That's what this is all about. This idea of discernment then gives way to what? Incarnation. This is also surprising. I can recognize one thing from the other. Where do I go from there? I go to the embodiment of God himself. That doesn't logically follow if you're trying to, to convince somebody of something. That This is a strange jump, but, but this is what we see. When we live like God, we take part in the incarnation because it's presence-driven. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, that, that, that's profound. You can't see God. But if his love is in your heart, you make him visible. If you love as God loves, the incarnation is in the room. The presence of God is having its effect amongst us right now. Because when we love as God loves then all of a sudden it's not playing by the rules of this world. That tempered chocolate is shaping us and we are forming around this idea of a savior who calls us to a better life, to a better story. God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. That is almost sacrilegious, it feels to me, that his, the completion of his love can be in us. I am too frail. I'm too flawed. I'm too inferior to have the completion of God's love in me. Am I not? Like, that seems like a no-brainer. Like, I, again, I know myself. I see what I see in the mirror. I know where I've been. I know where I'm trying to go. God's love can be complete in me. That's what this word is telling us. And what a profound hope. What a profound difference people that live like this, people that believe this, people that practice this can make to the world around them. When he is present, we don't have to try to squint and figure it out, trying to discern, is that God? Is that not God? An incarnation gives way to a mystery, going back to our scripture. He has given us of his spirit. This incarnation is the giving 
of his spirit. When we talk about being spirit-filled, you probably think of a number of things if you've been around the church for a while, right? Because we, we use that as a descriptive term to mean a lot of things. And, and often in this room, we'll probably have conflicting opinions on what it means to be spirit-filled, but we're kind of generally on the same page. And so we're like, yeah, yeah, we, we, we know what it means to be spirit-filled. But I feel like what John is talking about here in this passage is something wholly different than, than what we think about when we talk about maybe tongues or like a really boisterous song that lifts my spirits, you know, or, or whatever we, we think it might be to, to practice these gifts, to do the work that we think is the work of the Spirit. Because what John says is when we are Spirit-filled, we testify that the Father sent Jesus. That's, again, it feels like a low bar to me. <laughs> So to be spirit-filled, I can testify that the Father sent Jesus. That's evident of the Spirit at work among us. That, that is a true testimony. That I can look at Jesus, I can hear these facts, and I say, the Father did this. This has been the plan from all along. He has given us of his Spirit. So we testify that the Father sent Jesus. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. We're spirit-filled. We are formed into his image. And that brings us to a point of confidence that we can have no fear. Because perfect love drives out fear. And this is where I feel like a lot of us kind of lose hope. <laughs> I feel like we've been, been keeping track and we're like, okay, this is good. I can testify. I can say Jesus is the Son of God. Those words can come out of my mouth. I can love. I can do these things. Like, okay, this is great. And we hit this point, perfect love drives out fear, and we think, then why do I still have this emotion? Why do I still struggle? Why do I still mess up? Why is this still the dynamic of my life? Why do I still have doubts? Why do I still have questions? Why, is, or why are these things still pending? And we, we, we draw back at this point when this is really an encouragement to press in and to say, yes, if we really do embrace this, if we really run this through the paces, this is the promise on the other side. When you know God and when you know that his love is for you and not against you, there really is just no other option so the question is whether or not we really see God or with we really, really accept his love for us. I mean, logically, that's all that it can be. Do you not trust that, that God is that, that real? Or do you not trust that he loves you when he says that he does? Do we trust the own judgment of our peers? Do we trust the judgment of ourselves? Do we fear the unknown rather than the God who's trying to make himself known through all these ways? And then we go from that lack of fear to a place of loving our brother and sister, not out of affection, not out of emotion, but out of obedience. And again, that's not how we want to do it. I want to have this fount of living water that comes out of me, that everything is just, you know, rainbows and daisies when it comes out of my mouth. And, and everything's better because Josh opened his mouth. When what it's telling us is obey my command, love your brother and sister. That's the call. That's the command. For an introduction, that's all that I've got for us. But I have an invitation for us to actually do something about this this morning. Because where we're going to start, you can give me just another minute or two. 
but I like I like where your head's at, Ethan. I like where your head's at. <laughs> when I said that's the end of it, I have ministry here, but I know it's going to take me a little while to, to get this all out. We're going to start with this, church. You being loved. Not you doing, not even you obeying. But I think we as a people need to know that we are loved. This is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us. And I think that until we get past that point, we're not really ready yet for what comes next. Do you really, really, really know that he loves you? Or do you just kind of think, yeah, that's a nice thing that we say in the church, and I want to believe it. And it sounds great, and I can see logically where it's going to go, but I don't know, like, how does that change my day? How does that change my, my Monday through Friday? Well, church, this is what we're going to dig into. You are loved, church. Not in, in some pat way, not in some romanticized way, not in some way that, 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 that is just going to be like a storybook or some fairy tale, but you are loved in the way of the Father who sent his Son to die on a cross to give us a way back to life everlasting. You are loved in that way. How do we know this? We have the testimony of Scripture. That's good. That's helpful. But I got to tell you, for me, that's only part of it. It feels generic. The Bible tells me so is an absolute truth, and it tells me so in beautiful and wonderful ways. But whenever I close that book, when I go to sleep, when I prepare a meal, what is the driving force? Is it words on a page, or is it more? I can look at the people in Scripture. You know, Hagar, we forget about Hagar way too often. This was Abraham's why do you want to call her? <laughs> Wife slash concubine, the mother of Ishmael, the firstborn son that Abraham had, who was lost in this clamor trying to find their way to God's pro- uh, prophesied and chosen lineage for the church that, that we understand, the history that we have. And what happened? Sarah got jealous, drove Hagar out into the desert with Ishmael. They're dying of thirst in the desert. And she cries out, like, what is this mess? What did I do wrong? And God shows up, gives them water. And she says, you are the God who sees me. This has been such an important word for our church. He's the God who sees us. If this is not a romantic ideal <laughs> by any stretch, she is literally dying <laughs> after being cast out. This is not a good storybook. We don't tell this as the bedtime, like, oh, yeah, look, she was, you know, for years, you know, forgotten and hated and then drove out into the desert and she's just at the point of death. And an angel shows up and gives her water and she says, you are the God who sees me. Well, why didn't you see me six months ago? Why didn't you see me two years ago? This is our story. The God who sees. Jesus similarly led into the, by the Spirit into the desert after a period of fasting, after which he was hungry, it says, just to be met by the tempter himself. Led by the Spirit. That same Spirit that we're saying will fill us. This is our love story, church, is what I'm telling you. It's hard sometimes it looks at the, 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 the valleys and the challenges, and it comes out on the other side. 
this is our love story. Not romantic, not supernatural in that sense, the sky splitting in a booming voice, timing and circumstance. We're people of his presence and don't devalue that. We are people of the presence of God. As with love in this world, I think we're so consumed with what it should be, what another person has lived or what another person has experienced that we're rarely in the moment ourselves. We think, well, if I was a good Christian, I'd have this experience. What did you read about about that testimony? That's what it really means to be loved by God. Insert your favorite prophet, your favorite Bible you know, student, your, your favorite teacher, your favorite worship leader, right? Well, they're really loved by God. We all know Melissa's God's favorite, right? Lesson in here for all of us, right? We, we put them in that place and we think, if I'm not having that type of experience, I must be second class. That's not the story of our scripture. That's not what this love means when it's made for us because we're comparing and we're judging The vineyard started with burned out pastors and church secretaries in a room calling out to God in desperation. That's who we are in this room now. But have we forgotten? Have we found a way to make peace with the longing that our souls actually have, a longing to be loved? Is this all there is? Work and toil and budgets and buildings? And they got the answer, no, that's not all there is. Here's my presence Here's my spirit. Here's a drink of water for your souls. Because here am I. I see you. I know you. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And then it wasn't an effort to recreate it. They didn't try to recreate that magic in that room. Do you know that? That's not what they did. They didn't go forth from there and say, we figured out the secret. Let me tell you, if you're just desperate enough, And if you pray these magic words, then you will be loved by God too. That's not what they did. What did they do? They gave it away. They said, you can't be a vineyard church if you don't remember the poor. They said, this Holy Spirit thing, we don't even care what the name on the building is. Do you all know that the Holy Spirit is real and active today and you can be filled with his spirit and do his work? They gave it away. This is our model, temper the world, be that tempered chocolate that we start infusing God's love everywhere that we go because he loves you, because he loves you. Personally, church, I know I go through seasons. I had a a supernatural feeling one night of, of knowing and being known, and I remember feeling like when I had this feeling in myself, this supernatural experience and encounter with God, that this could sustain me. Like, if I could just have this feeling always, life is great. Like, you know, you've got those high mountaintop moments, but a lot of us do. But you know what happens? Feelings fade. Memories fade. With that gap, do you fill it with hunger or doubt? Do you allow cynicism to answer that distance or a longing and a desperate hope? I think we're so keen on sending people out to go take on the name of a Christian before they settled in themselves that they are loved by God. We're sending out people because they have a theoretical understanding of an infinite monkey with an infinite keyboard pounding away and just thinking, that'll make disciples. Eventually, knock on enough doors, pass on enough tracks, speak the name of Jesus loud enough, and eventually some disciple will be made. But we have forgotten the foundational thing that it's not that we love God, but that he 
loved us, which is why, church, you are loved. You are loved. And that can be our hope. That can be our story. In the um, vineyard, Wimber made a, a stink by holding up the Bible. If I had a physical Bible, I would do it. And says, this is the menu and not the meal. That feels, again, almost sacrilegious, and we struggle with this. But that's the call. It should whet our appetite for the reality of a God in a real universe with real passion, with real plans, with real purposes for the people in this room. That when we go to the menu, we can understand, oh my goodness, life can be so wonderful. If we would be full of agape, if we would have peace and joy and kindness and hope and love and go forth to make disciples, What a world to see it restored to the way that it was meant to be, where the Lord is Lord of all. What a place this could be. I want to close with this reality, and Ethan, you can come up now. (laughs) For the Christian, we're actually back on this spot the difference joke, the one with Pam. This is where we are. Do you know why we're here, church? Spot the difference. Because they're the same thing. When the church is full of the love of God, then the way that we love is the way that God loves. Because we've been tempered, because we've been formed, because we've been shaped, because our foundation is that he loves us. And because of that, we no longer operate by the ways of this world. We operate by the ways of the kingdom of God. Because his foundation of loving us first is what sets the tone for all this. So what can you do but freely give because you freely received? Because you no longer have a fear about running out of resources. We were talking about this in Sunday school this morning. It is a hard and traumatic thing to feel like this is my last dollar. And if I give it away, I have nothing left. And I will hate you and resent you if you take my last dollar. Fear is still there. And perfect love drives out fear. We aren't there yet. The church isn't there yet. Big C church, little C church, we're not there yet. So where we're starting with this is church, I want you to know that you are loved. I want you to be so assured of God's love for you that anything that follows, anything that comes next is going to be no different than God being in the room themselves. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So for some of us, it's worship. For some of us, it's going to be the desert and praying out for God to be the God who sees us. For some of us, it's going to be the word of God, opening the word, listening to the word, having the word feed our souls. For some of us, you will get that love by the person to your left or to your right because that love is in his church. And I'm just talking about where we might be today because in a year, 10 years, you might be in a different place. The church might be in a different place, but that foundation will be the same. So that is our ministry. It's where you are to receive the love of God. I want to give you an invitation that that if this is not the same 
way that you walked into this place, if you're considering maybe this love is something bigger or different or better or whatever it may be, let's make a commitment. Let's say I want to explore what this means. What we're going to do is as the worship begins, we're going to open up the table. The discernment, the recognition that this table is different than what we have in the world. This table is not about filling our stomachs, but filling our souls. When we realize this incarnation, love made flesh, is practiced here on this table. When we realize that when we want to be filled with his spirit, that's what we're hoping for as we take the elements of his life, his hope, his love, his passion, and saying, I will be sustained by this to go from this place to the world. When we realize that God loves you, And that's why this table is here. Because here Jesus is king. Jesus was put on the cross. He died. He was resurrected. He's made a way back for us. So all the things that we've been talking about are here. If you need to come forth, if you need to, to get right with God, if you want somebody to, to sidestep with you as you're praying about these things, as you're ministering with the, the, each other or, or hoping for the Holy Spirit to show up, we're here for you. But I think so much of what you need to do, church, right now is to settle this in your soul. You're loved. The God who knows you inside and out loves you. He wants to drive out that fear. It's sufficient. It's enough. You can bash your head at the keyboard all you want. You won't be able to find a more perfect love. Go ahead. Another one of our distinctives I mentioned before the service that we believe the Holy Spirit's actually in the room, working and doing and moving and speaking and all of those things. And a part of that, we believe that He speaks to His people in real time for things he wants to do in this service right now. Um, and so I'm just going to read one of those. And if it's something that you want to respond to, you'll have the chance to after uh, we take communion. Um, but the note is that like that there, the Lord has highlighted that there's someone here who's mourning. And the encouragement for you is the Lord is near you. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He has not abandoned you. You are not forsaken, and he loves you. Aligns up pretty well with the message. So if that's you, if you're mourning and you'd like for somebody to pray with you, um, maybe after you get communion, there'll be a couple of us up here ready. You can also just turn to someone next to you in your seat and say, that was me, would you pray for me? Um, Because again, we believe that the, uh, the Holy Spirit fills his people and empowers us to minister to one another.